Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Why do so many businesses struggle while others seem to explode overnight? Do you wish you had the secret to this type of exponential growth? Now, I've scaled more than 20 businesses to over $100 million, and it's not just luck. In my new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is your host, Seth Green. Today, I am super excited to be interviewing Eva. Eva's first breakthrough was when she made her first appearance on Late Night with Conan O'Brien, which transformed her career from a classical opera singer to an international pop star. She's toured the world, performed all over, has multiple hit albums, including, including Evolution, Leap, Traitor, and the list is endless. The bio goes on forever. So let's just dive right in. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Seth. I'm happy to be here. So let's go back in time a little bit. I mean, Conan O'Brien said, you can sing so high your voice goes outside the range of human hearing. How did you get started? Well, I got started when I was a kid because I apparently had a very loud voice. I <laughs> wasn't afraid to perform and my grandparents recognized that I was like that and they had a friend who ran the children's opera company. So she had me come in and recruited me for all the roles and I was hooked. I understand. Um, <laughs> my first performance was at the age of eight, but obviously I don't have multiple really? hit, hit albums. What um, did you do? Um, I had been in musical theater for a long time. Okay. That's fabulous. Yeah. So that was my, we're not here to talk about me, but my original life goal until about the age of 18, 20 something was to be a Broadway star. Really? How did that go? I mean, did you do a lot of voice lessons? I, I, I went I went to Syracuse University's under for undergrad because they have one of the top musical theater departments in the US. However, um, some stuff happened that caused me to change my career path. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad you found your way. Yes. And it seems like you're doing many excellent things today. <laughs> thank you. Yes, my stage. Related, so. <laughs> thank you. My stage has changed a little bit. But again, we're here to talk about you so when was so you were performing locally where you were when did yes. the first ink when did you first realize that hey there's more to this i'm going this is going to be like a profession um actually my family was not professional musicians and my director of the choir at school asked if he could come over and he came over and my family and he and I sat in the living room and he had brought a book called The Musical Life. And he said, I just want you all to know that Emily, that's my real name, has the 
ability to be a professional musician if she wants to be. And I want to give her that opportunity and that open that door for her. Wow, that's incredible that you had such support then. What do you remember the first time you got paid for it? The first time someone offered to pay me to sing was at a wedding and she was an artist and my friends had arranged for her to hire me and I bartered with her. I said, could I have a piece of your artwork? And my friend said, no, 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 no. You're supposed to get paid. And I said, yeah, but I want one of her paintings. I don't need to get paid to sing at her wedding. So uh, I think that that was the first time I was supposed to be paid to sing, but instead I got a painting. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> are your bucks still count? Yeah, yeah. Obviously your career has taken off since then. What has surprised you the most about your journey? Probably the challenges of finding the right people to work with. That hasn't always been easy. I would say not every hand that has taken mine to bring me to a certain new stage or transformation has stayed with me. And sometimes that really breaks my heart. Uh, but my, I have a wonderful coach named Deborah Hurwitz who says, if you want to go over the fence, you can't always bring people with you. That's an excellent quote. I love that. <laughs> now you talked about the people the the people working with you you've collaborated with multiple grammy award-winning producers highly acclaimed artists you are you are the youngest person ever to receive the vasa order swedish american of the year how did some of that come about uh, this may sound strange but i have had some amazing lightning strikes I was doing something that I was afraid of doing, but I knew I had to do it. And the universe or the higher power or whatever you want to call it has offered me these huge opportunities. So for example, the Vasa order came about uh, when I did a cover interview for Swedish American magazine. And I was in a relationship at the time where the my partner was abusive both physically and uh mentally he was emotionally abusive and i finally decided to leave but he had told me so many horrible things about myself some of which may have been true but many weren't <laughs> and and uh and i got this opportunity i got a call saying I would like to nominate you for the Swedish American of the Year Award, the, the man who had written the article. If you, if I nominated you, would you accept it? And I was convalescing with my best friend in New Orleans. And I was like, are you sure you have the right person? This is not, this is not the call I expected to get. And then a few months later, I was on my way to Sweden and given this award and lots of performances and I really got this message I felt from the universe or whatever you want to call it saying you walked away from something that wasn't right for you and we want to hand you a candle and say you did the right thing keep doing what you love that is a beautiful beautiful transition you have used some of your personal life 
again, that you've alluded to as inspiration, um, both on the upside and the downside, how do you get comfortable with basic, I mean, bearing your soul for millions of people? It takes time. One of my first producers, he did some work with me and said, you know, people want all of you. And when I was doing classical music, I started as an opera singer. It was more formal. You could just stand and sing and you didn't necessarily have to be completely emotionally available to your audience. So I started to let go and let go and let go and uh, with meditation. And then really recently I found method acting training and the Alexander technique. So oh my I, God, yeah. I work, do you know that? Oh yeah. Yes. So, really? Do you work with the Alexander technique? And or, link letter and yep, all that good stuff. Oh, that's amazing. Yes. Yeah. I work with Jean-Louis Rodrigue wow. in Los Angeles. Do you know Jean-Louis? I know of, um, yes. Um, I work with Jean-Louis and then uh, my colleague and my spirit, my uh, creative soulmate, Camille Nata, she coaches me in method acting. And that has helped me learn. People say, you know, be emotional. That, okay, that's said great. Done. Like, how? How do I do that? And Especially then, if you're singing the same song for the 87th time. Yeah, exactly. And it might be something that I'm over now. At the time, right. it was really potent, and now I've, I'm dealing with different things. So I, I really learned that there was a, a way to access one's feelings, just like there's a voc way to learn vocal technique, yes. there's a way to access your feelings. And the, after this experience with um, abuse, I locked up a fair bit in my body and my jaw and my neck, and I decided to call Larry Moss, the acting teacher, and during the pandemic and see if he would talk to me. And he's, I think he's somewhat clairvoyant. Over Zoom, he talked to me and I said, what do I do with this character of Eva that I've created? I, I want to be all that she can be, but I feel a little bit restricted. And he, he gave, he's gave me a monologue. He sent me to Jean-Louis. He gave me warm-ups, but mostly he just let me be me and showed me different aspects of who I was and could be. And that's really helped to have support from people who I trust and who inspire me. So I guess that's how I do it. But I'm not saying, I mean, I'm writing an opera now about my experience with abuse. And I'm in Paris now with some family it's nice to get away. I feel a little more calm because I'm not going to lie. When I write that, I feel a little sick to my stomach. It's it's a frightening. I bet it's topic. probably like to a certain extent re-experiencing some of it. I have. Emotion. I mean, I I have to go back sometimes. I mean, I have notes of the things that happened. I am a journaler, so I had written a lot of things down, and they were buried in my trunk, and I pulled them out and just reading through them I thought oh my god this is this is so <laughs> how did the creation of your for lack of a better term show business personality or alter ego come about that's a really good question so after conservatory I moved to Sweden and I wanted to learn the music of my ancestors and so I found myself 
moving from New York, where I had tons of friends, to Sweden in Stockholm, where I had no friends. And at night, I literally thought they had shut the city down because there was nobody on the streets. I thought they had evacuated, and I was the only one who didn't know. And because of that, there were no distractions for me, and I would go for really, really long walks. And I just started to have visions and understanding of what I could say and what I wanted to say and what I believed in and what my vision was. And I had a voice teacher named Eva, I-W-A. And I thought that was a beautiful name and I wanted to create a character that I could grow into who was me living my full potential. And I thought maybe if I reach my full potential and live for my full potential and write about following one's path, even if it's scary, letting yourself be all you can be, other people would be inspired too. So that's where Eva came from. Originally, she was a mystic. I think she's still a mystic, a bit of a, but I, I this is another thing to add. Uh, my mother passed away this year or a year ago, very suddenly of an aneurysm. Thank you. And that was a very spiritual experience because I, I felt like I could feel when she left the room when wow. we were in the hospital. She was al alive on a respirator for a few days. And uh, it was a really harrowing experience. And I practiced yoga for a while. And I one night had this very vivid dream where this goddess with a green face came out of a television screen and it was Kali. I looked up, who is this? And Kali is actually a slayer of demons, but she is a good goddess. And I realized that I could be everything a human could be as Eva. I don't have to be Mrs. Nice Guy. I can be very elated sometimes. I can be have some holy wrath sometimes. And so the creation of Eva has really helped me accept that I'm a human being and I have all the emotions, not just the looking good, not looking bad emotions. <laughs> Understandable. Uh, there's a great book by Todd Herman called The Alter Ego, uh, oh. specifically for use in performance, in in sports, you should, uh, yeah. you'd love it. Talk okay. a little bit about how, in addition to writing about it, you've helped kind of use your platform to help other survivors of domestic issues. I've just started telling my story on my social media a month or two ago, and I can't believe how many people contacted me. I, I just said, if you want to talk, you can DM me. Wow. Comment here. And I had a lot, I had a lot of people DM me and write me and it actually made me feel a lot better. You're not alone. I was not alone. And I hope it made them feel better. I'm sure it did. I'm sure Stay. even just a regular person talking to them makes a difference, obviously, but someone of your caliber and fame being willing to speak out and speak to someone directly I'm sure you've probably saved lives. 
I hope so. I hope so. There are some people still in difficult situations, and I wouldn't say the law is always helping them as much as it could. And I was very lucky in the way I was able to walk away and that I had somewhere to go and I had a family to support me and I had a job and not everybody has that. And sometimes they have children with their abuser and, or it's, I'm very sorry that it exists. And I hope that in my own way and sharing my story, it could help to relieve the world of some of this trouble. I'm sure it does. Your passion is obvious. What do you like best about what you're doing? Thank you. Uh, that I love doing it and that I'm compelled to do it. I, I don't really have to push myself very hard to do what I do. But I, I, what I also love about it is the human connection. I think I've become a lot more connected to myself and I'm very deeply connected to the people I perform with and the people that I work with. And I have met people all over the world. And some people talk about a tribe. And I think I've really found and, and continue to find the tribe to which I belong. How did the pandemic affect you? How did you have to pivot? <laughs> I had, it was challenging as it was for everybody. I had just got my dream apartment in New York two weeks before the pandemic was called. And I had gone home because to Delaware, where I'm from, where I have a place, just because I had been going back and forth anyway, and I didn't think there was gonna be a pandemic. And I wound up being there for months. And my father's close by. So I was helping him out now that my mom is gone. Um, and I have a studio of voice students. I mentor and teach a lot of singers and songwriters. And I am very happy they all wanted to do online lessons. In fact, the fact that they didn't have to drive around and I didn't have to drive around or take the subway or take a taxi was somewhat of a relief. Although I really missed the human contact. Uh, but it was a way in which I grew my business. I took on a coach and I was able to create group classes instead of one-on-one -on -one classes. I started to move towards having other teachers teach with me or for me and me being able to start to teach on a more creative level in terms of mentoring people with some of my very specific uh, experience. So I wound up doing well. My business grew in that respect. I don't mind being online. Some people don't like it. I, I like it. And maybe it's because I've lived abroad a lot and I'm used to talking to people online. But I am still getting back into the groove of performing. I did learn guitar. So did I. Probably not did as you? good as you. Oh, we got a jam when I'm in oh LA. Oh my God, I, I'm sure awesome. I couldn't hold a candle. I could play like three uh, songs. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. Uh, well, it would be fun. I would love it. I, I only learned all my songs. 
So I learned how to play guitar, which was great because now I can go to gigs with just a guitar. People don't always have a piano, which I right. play. Not as portable. No, but it's great even here in Paris. I went to a friend of a friend's concert and she's lent me her guitar. She's invited me to come play on her next concert. I'm going to join her on piano. So I, I guess I've become a lot more flexible saying, have guitar, we'll travel. <laughs> sure. Um, your hit song, Immense Tenderness, you're adapting it into an operatic piece that comes out in a couple of years. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So Immense Tenderness came out, one of the songs I didn't even have to work for after I left my abuser. And during that time, I was very distraught. And I was literally screaming in my house. Fortunately, I live on a national park. So <laughs> I think it was probably mostly birds and deer. Right. Oh, you're scared, right. Yeah, <laughs> um, maybe some groundhogs. But I then wrote that song and there's some screaming at the end of that song, but I didn't directly name what was happening to me. I just spoke about more the emotional feeling of losing someone who I thought was so tender with me and so loving and turned into someone I couldn't even recognize and was afraid of. So um, a couple years ago, I thought, you know, I'm an opera singer and I really want to tell this story for some reason. I just feel like I have to. And I usually process the big things that happen to me through music. And I thought it deserves a longer form of music than just a four minute song. And I thought I maybe I'll write an opera and I'm not going to put the pressure on myself that it has to be Wagner or Verdi. <laughs> it can be a mixture of all of my influences. And I will, I will write it. So I started writing it in the spring when the pandemic started. I thought, well, got nothing but time. Let's, right. write, let's write some of the opera. And then I joined this group called the Beth Morrison Projects. They were doing a producer's academy. It was very well-timed. They do very innovative new opera productions in New York and in Los Angeles. And I joined their group, and that was the first time I was telling my story to a group of people outside of my friends and my family. They were completely accepting, completely supportive, and gave me building blocks on how to do it, not just creatively, but also logistically. How do you, how, how long does it take? What are the stages? So that this opera is working title Inside Out, and it is about the feeling of what if I had really let it go, really screamed, really let how I felt out in the moments where I was really scared, not that there's anything wrong about it. And we've decided actually to tell it from the perspective of inside the victim's head. Cause I feel like a lot of people look at it on the outside and they say, whatever, the abuser's a jerk. Why doesn't the victim just yeah. get out of there? Just leave. So to try to untangle and make others aware of what goes on inside the head of someone who is being abused and stays or stays and then leaves. 
I'm sure the release of that will spark some conversations and help a lot more people. For we, we know your time's incredibly valuable. We greatly appreciate you spending some with us. For our viewers and our listeners who want to learn more, where, where do you want us to send them? Where should they go first? Please send them to my website, which is Eva Voice. So I V A and then voice like singing voice.com. And that has links to my Spotify, my Apple Music, my Amazon Music, and all of my socials. All right. Well, this has been Seth Green. We will send everybody to Eva Voice. Eva, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Seth. It's a pleasure. And thank you for your thoughtful and astute questions. I really appreciate it. Um, our pleasure. Thanks, everybody, for watching or listening. We will talk to you or see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.